Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. Howdy, y'all. This is Nick Smolovsky, Bad Elf, here for another Tech Minute with all you geoholics out there. Today, we're looking at some really scientific stuff. Um, as you know, uh, I'm a huge geographer by trade, and I like studying all types of different mapping. This is actually mapping of the magnetic field, or the corona's magnetic field of the um, of the solar corona, so basically the sun. So if you are at all interested in that burning ring of fire in the sky, we are now actually capturing different types of uh, measurements uh, taking with new devices. Uh, they call it a corner cornograph, and if you are familiar at all, um, in some ways what the cornograph does is it blocks out the sun's bright disk, so you, you know, you're able to basically study the physics and measure the speed and intensity of the waves rippling through the coronal plasma. That's some pretty heavy terms there, but this thing basically blocks out unneeded light, and so we can measure magnetic fields coming off the sun. Pretty wicked, if you ask me. At any rate, this is some new stuff. If you're interested, I highly recommend going out and checking it out. This, again, is mapping the solar corona. All right. If you guys have any questions for me about Bad Elf or uh, about some of these tech minutes, I'd love to hear from you. You can shoot me an email at nick, that's N-I-K, at bad-elf.com, nick at bad-elf.com. Love to hear from y'all. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Tasted fire, I'm ready to come alive. I can't just shut it up and fake that I'm alright. I'm ready now, I'm not waiting for the afterlife. Oh man, I love that song. <laughs> Welcome back everyone. Thanks for listening to episode 58 of the Geoholics podcast, also known as the Shout out to Jake, the Derek Thomas episode. I like it. I can't I like you gotta it. honor that guy. I remember seeing something on Sports Center, one of those thirty for thirties about him. He was all involved with the military and stuff because yeah, his dad good, was good guy. Military. Good guy though. Yeah. Uh, facts about him: his life, University of Alabama, nineteen eighty-eight Buckus Award winner, unanimous All-American, eighty-nine first round, fourth pick overall to Jake's Kansas City Chiefs. Nine-time Pro Bowl, three-time first-time first-team All-Pro, three-time hmm. second-team All-Pro, wow. defensive rookie of the year in '89, sacks leader in 1990, uh, 1990s All-Decade team. He had seven sacks in one game. At oh one my point. god, is that a record? Yeah, it is. Oh uh, <laughs> posthumously inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame in 2009, and yep. his number 58 is retired by the Chiefs. Mm. Great choice, great choice. Yeah, I, I shared this a little bit before, <laughs> but I was him one one year for Halloween. Uh, I'm sure when my dad listens to this, he'll be able to text me and, and know wh- how old I was. But I, w- I was a little little guy. Wow, I hope there's a picture of that. And if your there fa- is, I think you, somewhere. If your face was painted and there's a picture of that somewhere out there. You have no chance <laughs> in politics. <laughs> I don't think I'd do that. <laughs> I don't know. With the political climate now, you can get away with just about anything. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> All right, folks, we can't say it enough. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. We love uh, we love each and every one of our listeners, I think it's fair to say. Now that we've softened you up a little bit, uh, please consider joining the Geoholics fan club. As a reminder, if you make a uh, $50 contribution to the Geoholics GoFundMe page, you are going to receive an unprecedented Geoholics fan pack that Shoots will personally put in the mail to you. Yes. Um, and it will include a Geoholics t-shirt, 
couple wristbands, couple stickers, couple koozies, couple temporary tattoos, courtesy of DBLS, and a Geoholics pint glass. Our guest today is a proud recipient of one of these packages. Hopefully he's gotten it by now. I hope so. And uh, <laughs> we'll have to get his unbiased review uh, a little bit later on in the show. So uh, before I forget, also do us a favor and subscribe to the Geoholics YouTube channel. Um, it's kind of cool. You can actually connect our voices with our ugly mugs. There we know? go. Yeah. Well, you know, speak for yourself on the <laughs> ugly mug contest there. Um, I d- must say I did ship everything out. I was a little behind schedule. And then I get the uh, warning every time I go ship stuff out. They're like, no guarantees. Oh, so Jesus. if it takes longer <laughs> or if it doesn't show up, just let us know. It's, again, COVID. I literally get the warning every time I go see the guys at the UPS store. So Yep, yep. Well, checks in the mail, regardless. Exactly. Hey, right. If you don't get it, you call me. I send it again. <laughs> All right. Then the opening number, of course, is Switchfoot. The name of the song is Afterlife. Switchfoot is an American rock band from San Diego, California. After early successes in the Christian rock scene, Switchfoot first gained mainstream recognition with the inclusion of four of their songs in the 2002 movie A Walk to Remember. Did you see that one, Shoots? No. I don't even know what I that one is. I have not seen it either. I think it's one of those, you know, I don't know. Um, that sounds way too love story things i don't know it sounds way too girly for me 2002 that was a long time ago were you even how old are you i was in high school still oh yeah i'm surprised you didn't see that (laughs) i Um, didn't have a date this (laughs) this recognition (laughs) led to their major label debut the beautiful letdown which was released in 2003 and featured the hits meant to live and dare you to move this album sold over 2.6 million copies the name switchfoot comes from a surfing term i did not know this thanks to uh, wikipedia meaning (laughs) to switch your feet or take a new stance facing the opposite direction that's where the name of the band came from they're all from san diego surfers and stuff like that so makes sense uh i was really excited actually when our guests this week picked this band as i actually took my kids to see them play after a diamondbacks game like we first moved out or you know they have concerts after Mm -hmm. the game sometimes well, Switchfoot played one. Nice. Now and, it's uh, like uh, Los Lonely Boys. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh, Not quite as rock-friendly. Right, right. It was a number of years ago. But regardless, great band, great message. And just so you guys know, you heard that right. If you are a guest on a show, a future show, um, and you weren't aware of this, the guest actually gets to pick the music. So it's kind of cool. A little personalized touch on the uh, on the episode. So we like the guests to feel welcome. Exactly. So let's get uh, let's get to our friends of the program. Before we do, we've opened up our 2021 Friend of the Program opportunities to anyone interested, as we do have a couple slots left to fill. Here's what you're going to get, a customized promo read each and every week. A link to your website will be posted on the Geoholics website. Check that out as well if you haven't. There will also be a link to your website on the Geoholics app, which can be downloaded from Land Surveyors United. You also get your very own exclusive podcast to promote whatever the heck you want. Um, And also, check out my hat. Bad Elf, one of our friends of the program. If you are a friend of the program and you send us swag, we'll wear it. We're, we're you know, Equal we can't, we can't promoters. be bought. We, we can't, can't be bought. Be bought. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and we, uh, and just another thing, I mean, you know, what? Uh, one of our goals, of course, is add value, make friends. We say it all the time, right? It's kind of our, our, uh, our mantra, we'll say. Um, and another thing that has been a byproduct of this, you know, we have these friends of the program, we have people on that have like um, interests and things like that. And then we start connecting friends with friends. And next thing you know, you just have this unbelievable network. And it's really, really cool to, to see stuff like that kind of blossom. So reach out to us at info at the for more info. This is a great opportunity to promote you and or your company. Speaking of Bad Elf, 
You can find them at bad-elf.com, and they are developing high-accuracy GPS receivers for all-day data collection, that being the Flex, which is pretty slick, and thanks to Dr. Nick Smolowski for his Bad Elf Tech Minute each and every week. Last thing I want to mention about that, if you mention that you heard about the Flex on the Geoholics, you'll receive 100 bucks off your purchase and one of these really cool hats. Yes. We, we didn't have to buy a flex for these. <laughs> Next up, we got Land Surveyors United, the largest global community of geomatics professionals on the Internet. Justin Farrow has developed his website, LandSurveyorsUnited.com. Go check it out. Take five minutes. Become a member. And also, that's where you can find the Geoholics app. Yes. Check out the app. Super cool. Next, we got LiDAR News, the virtual home of the LiDAR industry. They strive to provide their readers and sponsors with the most current information about 3D laser scanning, LiDAR, unmanned aerial systems, and shoots his favorite thing, photogrammetry. Yay. The LiDAR News team focuses on the application of technology to solve 3D problems. Find them at LiDARnews.com. Now we'll talk about Ken's favorite thing, Parkland College, their land survey program in Champaign, Illinois. They have two schedule options, which provide opportunities to both traditional and working adults to achieve a certificate or associate's degree in land surveying. More information for them at parkland.edu slash surveying. It's going to be really interesting when we have Corey on next year because they re-upped as a friend of the program. Um, find out how these two different schedule options have changed as a result of COVID. Yeah, so it's, it's all online at this point, but how do, you, how do you learn survey just I'm online? I'm not sure. Not all right. Sure. We'll We're going to actually talk about that in a little bit. Uh, next, we got Unifly. Scott Ohana and his team have developed a one-stop UAV shop. Check out the How We Work link at unifli.aero to find out more. And then we got Diamondback Land Surveying, Trent Keenan, specializing in residential, commercial, and public works projects. They are corporate offices in Las Vegas, but they're licensed to work across the West. Uh, they are also proud sponsors and brand ambassadors of Get Kids Into Survey and Mentoring Monday. Absolutely. So, uh, look it up at DiamondbackLandSurveying.com, GetKidsIntoSurveying.com, Mentoring Monday. A lot of stuff going on. He's a busy dude. He is indeed, is indeed. A lot of passion with that guy. Next, we got Advanced Geodetic Surveys. Check them out at agsgps.com. Unbeatable deals on new and used equipment. In fact, I just went to their website today, and they got like 25% off all this stuff. I don't know. They got some really good stuff going on right now. In addition to that, if you use promo code GEO15, you will save 15% off all regular price field supplies, accessories, and safety equipment. I don't know if that's an addition to the 25%. Well, I would say regular so, price, 25% yeah, off is yeah, not yeah, regular yeah. price. Is that like a Black Friday deal? Like I, 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 I don't see. know. I don't know. Now that we all can't leave our homes at all, it's like everybody's selling everything early, so we don't have to have the mobs at the stores. I, I, I'm, I'm still shocked they're calling it Black Friday. I, you know, it's, you know, in these sensitive times, hey, I mean, come on, they got to come up with something. You're in the red that. all year, which is bad enough, and then you get to the black, so mm. you just lose all around. Yeah, it's know. the Washington football team. Oh. <laughs> okay. <But> next, <laughs> we got Tiger Supplies, the surveying, construction, and engineering superstore with over 15,000 products featuring top brands such as Leica, Top Gun, Spectra, and much more. They'll get you the equipment you need to get the job done right. Use promo code GEO15 for 15% off any Adair Pro item. Also, don't forget to check out their YouTube page for product videos, tips, and tricks. 
Really good. Uh, what else? Oh, last but not least, Cyanic Automation. These guys are doing some really cool stuff with survey companies up in Canada, eh? Developing new ways to collect daily work records and timesheets directly from the field, automate invoicing, search jobs by legal addresses. Really cool, helpful stuff like that. Check out Jobbook by going to their website, getjobbook.com. They are solving operational problems to make your business life easier. Who doesn't need that? Also tell them you heard about the Gia Hawks, heard about it from the Gia Hawks. They'll give you 20% off their first year subscription. Um, talk to those guys today, as a matter of fact. They also are re-upping for 2021. If we can figure out how to get Canadian money into the States. And uh, Jake, I mean, Mr. Banker over here. Uh, are they good guys, though? The real good guys. Glad to hear they're good guys, yeah, though. They're good guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he did, I guess where I was going with that, um, he told me they just signed up a company in Texas that heard about them on the Geoholics. Oh, so man. That's pretty Make cool. Make it happen. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, here we are in Cobb Fenley Susu Studio. Quick shameless plug. Cobb Fenley's mission is to collaborate with employees and clients to provide engineering solutions that further their commitment to growth in the community. It's a mouthful. Check them out at CobbFenley.com to find out more. With that, let's catch up the boys. Producer Jake, what's up, man? How's it going, guys? I have some uh, space-related news. I knew it was coming. Yeah, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, I mean, these just absolutely dominate this my weekend whenever stuff like this happens. I super look forward to it. I actually did watch a little bit of an Elon small documentary today um, that really just got me going. Love that stuff. So <laughs> anyway, over the weekend, um, SpaceX Crew Dragon Resilience, which is absolutely... They always get the perfect name. They, they nail these things. Yeah. Um, just docked last night, successful docking with the International Space Station. Four astronauts will be on there for a six-month stay. Mm. Um, so nice. this is the first time that a commercially run company has launched a NASA mission. I know Bob and Doug went up earlier this summer, but that was kind of a demo. This is this is for real. So yeah. um, pretty cool to see that. I mean, that's a huge advancement for the commercial aerospace industry. And yeah. one little quick fact, too, is I know um, when Bob and Doug went up, and this has kind of became like a big story, is everything in that capsule is squeaky clean, strapped down, whatnot. But there's one thing that's always not. And it's mm. last time it was... Um, they call it the gravity indicator, but it was like this plush purple dinosaur. I'm not sure if you remember it or not. Mm -hmm. But basically, this thing is set to when they get into orbit or yeah. close to orbit when they start um, experiencing zero gravity. This thing will basically go and float around, and it's your gravity indicator. Mm -hmm. um, so they like to pull out a new one every time. And this time around, it was this little stuffed baby Yoda. So pretty topical <laughs> yeah, Star wow. Wars and whatnot. So I mean, those guys—they hit everything. I'm not. I know you watch the broadcast, yeah, and awesome. every everything they say is just so perfect and. It's great. Some of those words, like right after launch, like yeah. mm -hmm. it's just so powerful. So, oh, yeah, it gives you the chills. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Did you hear the story about um, Elon? I heard he got tested four times in yep. one day for 50, COVID. 50. And yeah, same test, same nurse, same conditions, same everything. Twice positive, twice negative. Yeah, I did see that. I don't know. I haven't seen if he's done anything additional. I know that he did miss out on being there in yeah. Hawthorne at Mission Control. Yeah, I um, that. yeah. Because of that, but yeah, I haven't but seen anything crazy. further. Mm -hmm. He's probably like, test me, test me, test me, test me. Like, I think he's trying to prove a point, you know? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he is always thinking outside the box. For so. sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's going to think inside the box and hire Jake here one day, and then we're going to be screwed <laughs> without a producer. But Yeah, right. Exactly. I wish. So, if you like the Geoholics, do not let Elon steal Jake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got to tell you guys, I had the most boring week of my life in the last week. Oh boy, it's uh, absolutely nothing going on. I, I'm <laughs> it's a, like, quiet, huh? I go golfing, I work, and that's it. That's well, life. That's, that's not so point. bad, though. Not bad life. No, yeah. it's not bad. I uh, think I shot an eighty. No, it was a 90, 91 the other day. So. Nice, Augusta. 
No, not quite. <laughs> Getting there eventually. It was uh, the Duke, actually, down oh, in Maricopa. Yeah. Yep. So I drove 45 minutes to golf. Wasn't the greatest idea, but yeah. all the prices are going up right now in this time mm. of year. But, hey, we love it in Arizona. It was 90 degrees today. But <sighs> other than that, like, I don't have much to add to this. I, feel, I feel bad. Your oh, boy? yeah. Oh, yeah. Dustin Johnson, <laughs> my boy. You, you guys still haven't paid me yet. Yeah. Uh, is that, is uh, that declared uh, the winner? Um, Checks uh, in the mail. Yeah, exactly. It was what? 20 bucks Just a like piece. the fan packs. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I actually picked the winner, so I got more money. I was never that into the Masters before in my life. And oh, I had man. the last pick. How did you guys let that happen? I 20 know. under. I yeah. Know. Crushed Insane. it. And, <clears throat> I, and you took John Rama. I was like, duh, he took my pick. So yeah, I thought I had. Well, I, I thought I was lined up pretty good after the first two days. I'm like, ah, oh, something's gonna have to go really good or really bad for me not to win. And sure enough, Dustin Johnson just uh, he dominated. Oh yeah, I mean, awesome. I rolled the vi- rolled the dice and ran with Vegas, which was yeah. I, they thought he was gonna break the course, DeChambeau, and yeah. yep. of course not. Yep, hey, Wait and he's, he's that's a guy's just a beast. Yeah, and then real quick too, Tiger with the ten strokes on oh, hole twelve. That was insane. Ugly. That was ugly. That's like me bad. <laughs> yeah, me bad as, as well, no doubt. What about you, Ken? What's yeah, going on? Yeah, well, speaking of golf, the lovely Megan and I were up in uh, in Pine this weekend, of course, getting out of this rat race, and uh, played some golf in Payson, and uh, she beat me, hands down, yeah. fair and square. She, 40, she, she had a 43, I think I shot a 47, and uh, she played really good. She's a good golfer. Well, there's two things. Yeah. I think you got to start playing from the ladies' tees. You are getting a little older. I should. Yep, I think know. those are the senior tees as well. Yeah, you get to the yep. Champions Tour like yourself. It, it, yep. it's, it's acceptable. All right. And two, was she a good winner or... Are you still hearing she's about it? She's a pretty it? no. She's a good winner. Okay, she's a good winner. Yeah. I've seen her in the the heat of battle with you. She yeah. takes that. She's pretty seriously. Yeah. yeah. When it, I mean, when it comes to curling or golf or whatever, she takes that stuff much more serious than I do. I'm there to drink the beer. Uh, easy enough. Yeah, yeah. But I do want to take a little bit of my time for a PSA. So, Uh-oh. and this, I don't want to be a downer here, but I do think this is something that's really important to talk about. I was um, I was talking to my oldest daughter yesterday, and she shared with me that. Jake probably aware of this. Two yeah. people that went to her and Presley's high school committed suicide in the last two weeks. Holy smokes! I mean, unrelated. You know, two different people, yeah. but um, you know, young adults, of course. And you know, it's my understanding these were kids that you know on the surface had everything going for them. You know, good-looking kids, tons of friends. You know, college, college. You know, everything. So you know, point being is this: um, we could talk about this forever, but because I get pretty passionate about this. But there are a ton of people facing, I don't know, various hardships right now because of the pandemic. On top of that, you know, now we've got the usual holiday stresses on, mm. and everything. I mean, the three of us are very fortunate, you know, to have what we have, you know, um, you know jobs, comfortable jobs, comfortable way of life and everything mm. like that. But you just never know. And, and I mean what I'm about to say, you know, if anybody listening needs someone to talk to, I mean, send me an email. Seriously, I'll send you my cell phone number and we'll talk and take a minute, literally a minute for, you know, anybody listening and checking with your kids, your family, your friends, even your coworkers, you know, most of the time you don't know who's dealing with what until it's too late, you know? And, you know, I saw this meme, it kind of sums it up and it said, I pray that my friends get through the battles they don't talk about. You know, that's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave it at that. No, um, and, and if you uh, prefer my company over Kent's, email him and he can send me my cell phone number. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You, you can join me on my evening walks. We, we, we may sound like idiots on here, but we're actually pretty down to earth <laughs> and pretty much got our heads on straight. 
Um, all right, let's move on. Safety Apparel Safety Share. Matthew Stansberry, of course, has developed the best safety vests on the planet, a.k.a. the Party Chief. You can check them out at safetyapparel.us. And be sure to check out all the Safety Apparel social media platforms. They're always posting really cool pictures mm-hmm. and giveaways and all that stuff. And uh, Mr. Stansberry's got a really good thing going on. I saw him post a picture of like a... Uh, a, like a, a kilt that was made out of like safety vest material, ah. like the safety kilt or whatever. Um, I think it was a joke, but I'm just just as an example, some of the funny stuff that he posts. That we sounds need to send one of those to uh, Gary from last week. We could. <laughs> We'd freaking love that. So, uh, shoots, what's the safety share for this week? Uh, it's short and simple. Don't take shortcuts on tasks or procedures. You've preached this a hundred times before in every past position you have, current position you have. Some employees will cast caution to the wind in order to save time, but what they don't always realize is that tasks have been carefully thought out to prevent safety issues, even if they do require a little more time. Let employees know that if there were a quicker way, you'd already be doing it. Remind them about the importance of following procedures to the letter for their own safety Mm -hmm. and sake. Yep. And a great example just happened today. One of my uh, party chiefs was working at a job. He calls me up. And he's like, I know this wasn't something you wanted me to shoot, but I found this, you know, whatever, Town of Aurora benchmark, and I shot it. And I'm like, that's awesome. You know, what did what it say on it? Or did, he's like, I said this, this, this. And I'm like, did you take a picture of it? You know, because procedure is take mm-hmm. a picture of anything you shoot. And he just stopped for like 10 seconds. He's like, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. He's like, I know I should have. He's like, I've effed up. You know, he's mm-hmm. like, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. But it's just little things like that. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah, just follow procedures. Exactly. exactly. They're there for a reason. <laughs> yep. So our guest this evening is uh, Ben Shineberry. And a couple little bio things here I want to throw out there. And first and foremost, he provided the best guest provided bio ever. Ben has been surveying for about 35 years and, like myself and many others, has taken a long way to becoming a licensed surveyor. We'll get into that here in just a bit. Born in Michigan, but joining us this evening from Kentucky, where he currently resides. This is interesting. He has completed surveys in 116 of 120 counties in Kentucky. Pretty cool. He has a collection of axes, makes his own throwing knives. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> don't, don't mess with them. His, his current role is a, uh, he's a vice president for a company called QK4. And more important than all that, he went out of his way to be the 100th subscriber to the Geologics YouTube channel. Yes. So, so we, Jake, Jake appreciates that. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah. So we absolutely <laughs> love this guy already. So, uh, Ben, welcome to the show. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thanks, Phyllis. I appreciate the offer to come on. I was surprised that the safety moment this week wasn't for the Indiana surveyors looking for section corners Uh-oh. and getting two pound bags of flour oh, yeah. dropping off. The <laughs> yeah. we're, we're saving that for May of next year. Yeah, yeah. Watch it's in out. the back pocket. Watch out for uh, falling bags of uh, flour. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> so we do want to circle back in a few bio items before we get into this. Um, being a, 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 a Michigan, what do they call it? A Michiganian? Michigander. Michigander. Yeah. Michigander. All right. Come on, you know that. So where, where did you? Where were you born in? Uh, Michigan uh, I you know all good Michiganders put the hand and then they point to it so yep. I was born in Jackson okay and uh, lived in Jackson for 18 years but then went to college in Florida in Pensacola and so from Michigan to Florida my wife and I got married down in Florida and then I worked for a surveyor down in Pensacola but I missed the snow and my wife said she would never move back to Michigan. Hmm. So we kind of landed in Kentucky after a while. 
Gotcha. But I really like Michigan. You know, the season changes doesn't yeah. really bother me. The summers are really nice. The winters can be harsh. But layer up and you're good. Absolutely. And what I always tell people, me being from Chicago, we spent a lot of time primarily in southwestern Michigan, like Benton Harbor and South Haven and those areas. And when you're on those beaches in Michigan and you're looking out west across mm-hmm. Lake Michigan, you feel like you're in California. You don't know any better because, you know, it, the, you can't see the other as side. As far as you can yeah, see. Yeah, I mean, you feel like you're in California. The beaches are absolutely amazing. Um, Michigan is one of my favorite places to visit. Again, I wouldn't want to live there, but it is a beautiful state. No yeah. question about it. Well, the good thing is Ben left and didn't go to one of those two loser schools right now. Oh, my goodness. Oh, struggling there, <laughs> huh? Wow. Made the right choice going down to Florida. Yep, no doubt. Um, so just tell us real quick about the your interest in axes and knives. How did that start, and uh, what, what, what keeps you... Uh, interested in that so the uh, surveyor that I work for in Florida he never let us use machetes we would always use a brush axe because the mm-hmm. machete would go through the branch and then into your kneecap mm-hmm. so we always use a brush axe uh, when we're out in the field because you can use it for a steady stick you can use it to uh, hop fences if you put it through the fence corner you step on the uh, axe handle and you go right over and then you've got a step coming back down the other side. So he actually was an axe guy. So more than splitting axes, I'm into brush hooks, brush axes. You know, you got your three bolt brush hook, your four bolt brush hook, you got a regular axe handle hook. And so all of that, I've got probably eight different brush hooks my wife tells me I can't buy anymore, but they always end up in my barn. So that's how it got started. So why, maybe you should, almost like Matthew Stansberry uh, started the safety vest thing, maybe you should start Ben's brush hooks. There we go. Yeah. There might be a but big... then we started throwing, throwing axes, uh, the little hatchet axes, and I did that because all these little throwing axe uh, bars are popping up around. And I thought, if I'm going to get good at this, I don't want to pay the cover charge to get in and then look like a fool so (laughs) i started buying some hatches and then built our own targets and my son and i throw axes and he liked the knives so we actually bought some edger uh blades like for a Mm -hmm. uh little uh sidewalk edger Mm -hmm. cut those right into the nice knife uh size and that's how we started making knives for throwing interesting so let's kind of get into your survey career here and how you got to where you are now. And something you sent that was very interesting is you started out working for your dad. Um, and, you know, to your benefit, he was an early adopter of, you know, survey technology. Um, and that's where you kind of established a, a foundation of the fundamentals working with your dad. So talk a little bit about that experience. Yeah, he uh, worked for himself. So like a lot of surveyors, uh, small business, you know, you're scraping by and anything that he could do to create efficiencies within the workflow. Uh, he worked for an engineering firm uh, laying out bridges in the mm-hmm. 80s in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So he would be a construction layout guy for an engineering firm, but then the recession hit and he got laid off and kind of went out on his own and worked for other land surveyors 
uh, as they had open capacity. He had one guy that he hired, so it was just him and another guy. I remember when he was looking into and buying equipment, uh, he would tell stories to his friends. One guy would always ask him if he was out standing in the field the week, and that meant he was making money if he was out surveying. <laughs> and he was telling him, yeah, I bought a total station that has electronic distance measurement. And he was amped about being able to take shots from the total station. And just the excitement that I could see when he found a new tool that he had an advantage by. So I remember back in the days of the 286 and 386 computers, he had uh, AutoCAD version and he was an early adopter of field to finish codes. And he would go out with his 48 and the environmental case and take a load of shots in the day and then bring it back and download. And then as the download happened, he'd hit start on the computer and then go to bed and the computer would draw all of his field to finish lines <laughs> for him, which was an advantage back in the early 90s because some crews were still running three or four guys and doing plane table, you know, drafting and all of that. But he would just run his raw data file, output the field to finish codes and have AutoCAD draw it. So growing up in that kind of uh, survey environment, it, I didn't realize it then, but it taught me a lot about being able to work and the expectations of working outside and then producing drawings that were more valuable then sometimes the, the guys that hired him, their field crews weren't as efficient as he was. Yeah, that's awesome that you had that experience early on. Um, did you ever did you ever work with the computers that were like dual floppy, like the five and a quarter inch? I mean, that's kind of how I started. I know I'm aging myself, but um, yeah. Did, did you have that or did you uh, start a little bit after that? Actually, before that, with the big Commodore 128, you know, where you hook it into your TV yep. and you learn basic programming and, and DOS commands and all of that, um, I remember using those old computers, you know, going through high school, we learned basic programming. Um, so all of that growing up was a part of my normal life. Yeah. What was your biggest takeaway working with your dad? You know, he is kind of a laid back guy. He enjoyed what he did. He was a grinder. So, you know, he was out there every day working for himself. Uh, sometimes survey doesn't always pay the bills. So he had other little businesses that he did. Uh, he managed newspaper delivery routes for the Detroit News and Free Press. And that, that was a morning newspaper. So he would work that from like three to four in the morning and then come home and sleep and then go back out to work. So it takes a lot of energy to do and work hard for your family sometimes. So, you know, surveying is a tough job, but it is rewarding. And if we have the expectation that this is what it takes to get the job done, I think that is what taught me the most interesting and you know what that tells me 
besides being stubborn, mm-hmm. if surveyors are nothing else, they're resourceful. <laughs> Absolutely. No question. Um, so I, I think it's important that our guests, especially surveyors, um, get to talk a little bit about their, their mentors. So, of course, you have your father. Um, uh, if I read your bio correctly, you had your next survey opportunity was with another old school surveyor by the name of Oscar Pittman. And that was actually in Florida. Um, tell us your, your kind of the main takeaways from that experience. Sure. After college, I needed a job. My wife was still in school. Uh, she had two years left and we lived in Pensacola. So I, I knew surveying and I was looking through the paper and there was an ad in the paper for a rod man. And I didn't know what it, it actually it said a rod and chain man. I didn't know what a chain man was because my dad did everything on his data collector uh, with his total station. So I applied at, uh, Oscar Pittman's, uh, work there in Pensacola and he hired me on and he would rather chain a distance than shoot it in with the total station. Cause he had worked for 40 years and was really old school. So I knew, and I had seen a plumb bob before, but I didn't ever really use one. And, so Oscar Pittman told us how to pull chain, measure distance, buck and angle, you know, all the old surveyor uh, classic stuff. He was really a good boss. Uh, he had high expectations on us. When I started uh, the first day, my crew chief uh, asked me, have you ever set up an instrument? And I said, yeah, I can set up an instrument. So we started and at that time we ran three-man crews but the my crew chief had a instrument man that didn't want to run the instrument and as a crew chief he wanted to run the book so they stuck me on the instrument standing there taking shots Mm -hmm. all day Um, but then oscar Pittman also had when you were ready to move up to be a crew chief he had the crew chief exam that you had to take so he had his own exam for his crew chiefs and he required the crew chiefs to buy their own HP 48, which kind of gave him the indication that this uh, potential crew chief valued the position enough to spend money to get the equipment to do it. So I took the time and and took the crew chief test and then became a crew chief for uh, Oscar there in Pensacola and worked in Pensacola for six years after college, starting at Rod and Chain Man and working up through crew chief position. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. The crew chief exam is freaking genius. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you have a copy of that by chance? I do not. Well, that would be awesome to have that. Cause you know, you think about it. I mean, nowadays, Anybody can be a crew chief. You know, I mean, if you can run mm-hmm. the instrument, you're considered a crew chief. There you go. And uh, it would be awesome to, like, drop that crew chief exam in front of some of the crew the crew chiefs that are <laughs> out there today. That would be awesome. So um, so from there, I, you went to a company called Dunaway Engineering, and that was in Kentucky, I believe. And you had an opportunity to work on um, the Ohio River Spaghetti Junction Bridge. I'm somewhat familiar with that. I think I actually drove over it at one point. But, uh, man, that had to be a really cool experience. Yeah, I worked for Dunaway Engineering. Uh, They were a woman-owned business and a part of the team that uh, did the Ohio River Bridges project. And we started that uh, project back in 2004. 
And a lot of people don't think about how long a DOT project has when it goes through its planning phase, then survey, then design phase, and then is let to construction and finally gets built. And it might be a 20 year project. Uh, but at being a part of that team, uh, working at Dunaway, they told me, okay, you're going to be working as a field uh, crew for QK4 was the prime uh, engineering firm on that project. And the first day I went out there, I met uh, who would be my future boss, Jim Krauth. And instead of him uh, just using me as a field crew that day, he handed me the book and said, okay, you're in charge. I need the distance on the existing bridge over the water. And so we had to, you know, calculate, double uh, shoot it from both ends so that we could figure out the height of the existing bridge. And then they were designing a separate bridge right next to it. So if anyone looks at Louisville, Kentucky, you'll see the main downtown bridge that crosses the Ohio River and connects I-64, I-71, and I-65 together in one huge interchange downtown. And they handed me the field book and said, you're in charge of Spaghetti Junction, uh, anything that we need located. So we located the bridge, existing bridge and the subsurface utilities and existing roadway, everything there mapped it all out in 2004. The bridge did get built and uh, finally designed and built in 2016. Everyone walked across it the first time and our company was really happy because, you know, that project is a legacy project for us. Yeah, that's awesome. And you must have done a great job because as a result of that experience, that's how you got the opportunity to work with QK4, correct? Yeah, I, I told uh, Jim Krauth uh, that I was putting my resume out and I wanted him as a reference on my resume. And he said, oh, you're looking for a job? And so that's how it parlayed into working for QK4. And from from that point, they actually, the bosses that I had at QK4 moved me into the office and I could still do the field work. And a lot of times we'll go back out and, and pull shots. But from that point on in 2006, I was more processing files in the office and working in AutoCAD, working in MicroStation. I had never really worked in CAD platforms uh, before that time. I'd seen them done and, and could draw lines and circles and things like that. But uh, from that point on, uh, both Jim Krauth and one of my other mentors, Keith Crow, uh, put the time and effort into training me on how to use CAD platforms for survey purposes. You know, a lot of people know how to use CAD or, or in school, they'll take a CAD class, but really they're just uh, modeling mechanical parts mm -hmm. and drawing everything at 90 degrees and even distances. And what surveyors know is that nothing is 90 degrees and even distances. So you gotta be able to think differently about CAD and modeling uh, than just designing. Yeah, and on that point, um, QK4 
was selected uh, to be on a team to repair, replace over a thousand state-owned bridges in Kentucky. In fact, I think the name of the project is uh, Bridging Kentucky. And uh, for that project, you're the survey discipline lead, and uh, you've worked on creating and developing workflows and processes for for that project. Talk about that. Yeah, the, the state had an inventory of bridges that their inspectors would go out and inspect and find deficiencies or the bridge may be fine and in good condition but the load rating on the bridge is not uh, heavy enough to carry fire trucks or uh, school buses or ambulances so if you can't get an ambulance across the bridge safely then the people on the other side don't have that support from the county mm. so the bridging Kentucky program was put together in order to upgrade the state's infrastructure. And there was a thousand bridges that, a little over a thousand bridges in the program that had some kind of deficiency load rating, didn't have rails on it. Um, so Spain in May of uh, 2018, and for the next 24 months until the summer of 2020, we had surveyed 550 bridges. Wow, that's insane. And in order to do that, the demand on the survey team was such that you can't spend the time that it would normally take to do a, a normal bridge survey and cover all of the uh, elements within Kentucky's design memo. So we were given the task. The task was huge, but in order to do that volume of bridges, we were tasked to come up with an efficient process. So we boiled it down to establishing control on every bridge site. So we would use GPS to establish control either by static sessions, uh, using our VRS uh, mm -hmm. service here in Kentucky, um, tying into other control if there was control near the site so establishing control, running a good elevation across the control, and then being able to collect all that is needed for a good bridge design or bridge rehab uh, project, which includes the ground surface. And a lot of times surveyors are really good about picking up ground shots and you know edge of pavement, curbs. We do a good job of, of doing a ground surface but when it comes to modeling a bridge, that ground surface doesn't cross the bridge deck. Hmm. So you have to collect the subsurface, or excuse me, the substructure of that bridge and incorporate it into the ground terrain and have one surface go from the top roadway through the abutment, down the creek, across the creek bottom and up the other side. Hmm and then separate out the bridge deck and the bridge superstructure from that ground surface. So we put together a process, trained our field crews. We had uh, teaming partners that survey teams that were a part with us on that uh, program and trained them to collect a uh, bridge in efficient time. Our field crews basically had two bridges assigned to them per week. 
So if you think about establishing control and taking all the necessary shots on a bridge, you have two days to do it per bridge. And if one of them is a little more detailed than maybe three days, hmm. come in and download, get your next two bridges for the next week. And at one time we had 20 survey crews oh running God. two bridges per week wow. and then turning it over. They would download on Friday and that the digital files would go to the CAD processors. They would model both the ground terrain and a deck surface and the low uh, beam members so that the hydraulic engineers could figure out what the hydraulic opening of the bridge was so that they weren't backing up streams or causing flooding conditions. And they had one week to model that bridge. So we basically gave the field guys a week to collect it and the office guys a week to model it. And then we had bridge assignments that came out every week and had a two week expectation turnaround. Wow. Um, so were you using uh, UAVs also to collect data? Well, at first when they put the team together, they said, why don't we terrestrial LIDAR scan every bridge? Okay. We've got scanning capabilities and we can gather a lot of information for, you know, bridges. We can scan each one. The problem is I don't have that many CAD guys that can model a terrestrial laser scan mm. and the critical information that you're going to model from a terrestrial laser scan can be collected through conventional traditional means. So if you are using intelligent coding and the field guys know exactly what critical points that they need to shoot, you can collect a bridge faster because the codes are already there to model with. Now we have scanned, we probably scanned a hundred bridges because there are some historic bridges that have historic significance. There are some steel truss bridges that we've scanned, some really long span bridges that in scanning, you get the information, critical information without hanging Larry over the side of the bridge to try and collect some of that data. You can scan it safely. And while you're scanning it, Larry is collecting all the other information, the roadway connections, utilities, under the bridge abutments. Uh, one thing that we have done with all of our field crews is at the beginning of that program, we handed them 360 degree cameras so that they could collect a street view uh, essence collection of the bridge. We had them go down the top of the bridge deck with the 360 camera and then underneath the bridge, because you don't get that from Google, hmm. you know, you can't see underneath it. So yeah. for a 360 degree camera walking through, then anyone modeling that bridge can turn the image in any direction to help them see the features to model. So we would say it's not as fast trying to scan every bridge and then bringing it in the office, but it takes a combination of the right tools for each bridge. And we have all the tools for our guys to use. They just have to have the intelligence to know which is best in this situation. 
Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, this process wasn't streamlined right from the beginning. It took you some time to get this whole thing figured out. You had to get everybody on the same page, doing the same thing, following procedures like we talked about before. It's so important, especially in an operation like that. Um, and, you know, these type of surveys, I'm sure, are happening all over the country, just with our aging infrastructure and stuff like that, especially mm-hmm. bridges. Oh, my gosh. You know, every time you hear a story about a bridge collapse or something, it's yeah. like, Wow, you know, so I mean, you should maybe you should publish a manual <laughs> to, to uh, the, you know, to perform these type surveys. I mean, because it sounds like you've actually got it, uh, got it down, no doubt. Yeah, and survey was only one part of it. Mm-hmm. So the design engineers had different disciplines as well. So environmental, uh, hydrology, roadway discipline, the structures discipline. So each each one of these was a different part. And we did come up with a uh, charter manual mm. for this program here in Kentucky. Wow. Uh, it is specific to this program, uh, but if one of the uh, options at the beginning when we were looking at how we were going to create an efficient process was if it was law, then we needed to abide by it. But if it was just a uh, preference or a method that you know was used in collecting the information or designing the information, then those uh, design preferences, if it wasn't law, it was open for scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to trim down the process to create one simple streamlined collection to design. And then this past year, um, they have built uh, and constructed more bridges than ever before. So wow. now we're on that construction phase where they're going out and repairing bridges and rehabbing bridges. And uh, it's really helping the state, in my opinion. I'm and sure. these aren't these aren't really big bridges. Some of these bridges are only 20 feet long. Mm-hmm. But if a bridge won't hold an emergency vehicle, then it's not good to help the people that are on the other side. Yep. So, you know, we, you would think, oh, it's going to take two weeks to collect a big bridge. These are two-day collection bridges. They're small, but the information that our guys were gathering are, is important to the designers to make those intelligent decisions. Yeah, for when, sure. When he says, like, the 20-foot bridges, I think of that old computer game. Remember the Oregon Trail? Oh, yeah. Where they, like, went through it and your, yeah. your cart falls yeah. over. Like, ah, <laughs> if only there was a 20-foot bridge here, we would have been fine. Well, especially when you say a 1,000 of them. I yeah. mean, oh, a 1,000 yeah. oh, of them. Got to, some of them have got to be small because that would be a hell of a program. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. Some of them are deep in Kentucky. So that's where I've signed these surveys for, you know, we, we our company did – probably 350 out of the 550 bridges in every corner of the state. And some, when the high volume times I would go out and collect a bridge with my crew or go out and scan a bridge with them. And sometimes you drive 30, 40 minutes to get to a hotel to stay that night. Mm. Few miles on the trucks at the end of this project. Yeah, no doubt. Now, yeah. in 1785, that was the beginning of the Public Land Survey System (PLSS), which Kentucky did not adopt. Can you explain or talk about what it's like to survey in a meets and bounds state? Yeah. So back at that time, Kentucky was still a part of Virginia. 
and Virginia was one of the original colonies. So it's meets and bounds. Uh, we don't have section corners that we have to tie to. And really the roads in Kentucky uh, are not straight. They're wherever the buffalo tamp down a path and then they put gravel on it and put wagons across it and then they put asphalt on it and that's what we're driving on. Um, meets and bounds is in some ways easier because you don't have to tie back to reference corners that establish a reference frame from centuries back. And, but in some ways it's more difficult because you don't have those reference corners to tie to. And growing up in Michigan, I remember, you know, going through cornfields with my dad and finding uh, section corners and breaking down the section. And then when I worked in Florida, uh, we would tie to corners and you always knew you were on the right track when you're cutting line through the woods and you see all of the small limbs that are growing up around and you know, okay, somebody's been here before yeah. and cut this line. At least I know I'm on the right uh, path here. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've worked in both systems. The meets and bounds just means that you are going to research the property as it is and the neighboring properties around it to look for those overlaps or gaps. And we have a lot of those. You can uh, imagine the deed descriptions that we've got in Eastern Kentucky that are just bounded by Jones on the North and bounded by Smith on the East. And you got to figure that out <laughs> and climbing hills to get to it. And really it comes down to communicating with the property owners and gathering all of that parole evidence yeah. to figure out what uh, property they feel they own and then working it out. Yeah, and it, it's crazy. I uh, worked in Southern Illinois for a number of years, and the company I worked for did a bunch of work in like Paducah area and that that type yep. thing. So we had a you know a Kentucky registrant, and I can just remember reading some of those legal descriptions, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, start at uh, Farmer John's ax, you know, tractor <laughs> axle behind the twenty inch oak yeah. oak tree, and go whatever. It's just crazy stuff. But I guess if if you understand it, you know it. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's crazy. But um, a lot of it is finding what features are still there. And a lot of times they'll follow a natural monument. Mm -hmm. So the creek or the ridge yep. or something like that. So and now with the way that we can use statewide mapping and aerial images and topo maps, you, you can be surprised at how well things fit on those maps and you get a good idea of what you're looking for before you even have to go out there and start climbing the hills well it, it, it sounds to me like it would be an absolute nightmare to get two surveyors in that case to agree on something it's already hard enough in a you know in a pls state um so I'm, I'm, it makes me think about something, though. There's been a lot of chatter um, about a like a coordinate base cadaster. And I would think that a situation like a meets and bounds state, it would work great for. You know, once that yeah. corner has been established yep. and it has, an, has a coordinate, whether it be a latitude, and longitude, whatever, um, it doesn't move. I mean, <laughs> it's, that's that. I mean, what do, what do you think about that idea? 
Yes, I love it. And really, in, in our Bridging Kentucky program, I told our guys that the control pin mm-hmm. that we set in the ground, really, it doesn't have to be there anymore. We can pull that pin and yeah. go back to the coordinate. So yeah. when we were writing survey reports for the control on all of these bridges, I told them that the survey coordinate is the control. Mm-hmm. We made sure that we're tying to a reference frame, and then that reference frame guides what coordinate point that bridge is set on. So we want to make sure all of our information that we were collecting is tied to a reference frame, mm-hmm. and that is repeatable. Somebody, yep. you know, even the contractors now will have GPS and can go back to the coordinate point mm-hmm. to find the control point there. And they can use the control point that's in the ground, or they can know with confidence that the control coordinate is where they should build the bridge yep. moving forward. Mm-hmm. I do like the PLS system because it has, in my opinion, accurately carried the location of legal descriptions for centuries. But it also now is a separate reference frame from state plane coordinates. So you have to make a decision. Are you going to hold a coordinate point based on a reference frame, state plane coordinate, or even now that we're getting into uh, low distortion coordinate systems and having a lot of different coordinate systems around the state, you have to make a choice. Am I going to hold the, or reconcile the section ties with a state plane coordinate and now with an updated low distortion coordinate, yep. which one did that? And, you know, we run into that with DOT surveying, if the DOT is using the project datum, <laughs> and if that project datum, where's the origin point for their scaling? And it just takes intelligence to go back and look at how the data was collected and established to begin with. Really, surveyors are the best ones that do that because we're documenting that information and tying it to the project. A lot of times the engineers, they don't know, you know, what the coordinates doesn't really matter to them. They're designing based on the base map that they give you. But the surveyors are vigilant to go back and check and make sure I can reference a survey report that shows where the location of this control and where the location of this project is. And for centuries, they did it based on PLS Mm -hmm. and break down a section and know exactly where you are. Not practicing in a PLS state. um, I'm not quick on Some guys will know, oh, you know, section six, northeast quarter, quarter corner. Mm -hmm. He knows exactly where that is, like the back of his hand. which is great and you can know precisely what you're dealing with before you ever get out there on site but now with mapping the way that it is and uh statewide collections and aerial image we really have a much easier job Mm -hmm. than those guys that had to figure it all out back before i agree what i one one thing though Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for the latitude and longitude mm-hmm. to really come on board Great. because with all the state plane coordinate systems, mm-hmm. you know, we go with a low distortion coordinate system, but it's still a two dimensional representation of that coordinate. So there's still a projection involved. Yep. 
Yeah. The data collectors handle latitude and longitude and ortho height. If we're collecting things on a 3D sphere that the globe is, I would say let's just go to a straight latitude, precise latitude, longitude, and orthometric height. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that would be a, a fairly simple solution for that. And I mean, even though, you know, our job may seem easier now than, you know, the, the folks that were trying to figure this out in the beginning, it's also more complicated because of the technology, because of the different projections, because of the different geoids, you know, U.S. feet, international feet, which, of course, that's going to change here in a year or so. Um, it just gets, it gets very complicated. <laughs> At some points, you're like, I got to be a freaking geodesist to figure out some of this stuff, you know, and it's not everybody has that level of intelligence. And I'm not saying that I do, but there's just, there's so many opportunities, you know, if something's not set up properly in the data collector, like you mentioned, as far as projections and stuff like that, I mean, the whole thing could go to shit, really. I feel like yeah. it might not, but Ben does. He has the, yeah, the intelligence exactly. to figure agree. it out. I'll yeah. give him the credit. I agree. I agree. So what does it take to become a licensed surveyor in Kentucky? Is there an education requirement? There is an education requirement. Uh, they enacted the education requirement in 2010. Mm -hmm. So either you can have a four-year degree and then meet a certain minimum on the number of survey credits that you have in order to sit for the exam. Uh, when I took the exam in 2000, took my LSIT in uh, 2006, and I was able to, to take it based on experience alone, which really helped me. Uh, and I took the tests, you know, I studied for them, spent the time to uh, put into it and passed them. And then moving forward, if I would have taken that exam after 2010, I would have had to go back to school. Yep. I understand that the schools, and really I think the schools are doing all that they can to educate the students. The problem is the volume of students aren't there. Mm -hmm. So then programs close out because you can't have a program and four students attend a university in land surveying. Yep. But with the requirements and before this year, really there weren't the online options for land surveyors to get credits to work if if some guy had 10 years experience he would still have to go back to school get the credits and then be able to apply to take the test i would say we have ways of testing for the intelligence that a guy brings into that testing center and for years of experience, if they are making calculations and know with confidence the calculations that they're uh, making, then they're going to answer right on the test. Mm. Add in their cadaster, add in GPS, add in new technology questions so that we can test the, intelligent, the intelligence of the guys taking the tests. I would even say let the guys take their data collector in there with them. I would say they can do everything on the data collector and calculate those points. And when they're out practicing their license, they're going to be using those tools. Yep. You know, when, when I took the exam, 
I had to buy an HP 33 because my 48 was not allowed. They didn't want me bringing in the uh, software yep. to calculate a traverse and, and balance my angles. Um, so that was the only time I used that HP 33 was for the exams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you listened to the episode. We had Tim Birch on, I don't know, two or three episodes ago. And he came up, I don't I mean, I don't know if he came up with the idea, but he brought up an idea of like a tiered examination for surveyors, which I thought I never even thought, I never thought of it. But when he said it, I'm like, that makes perfect sense. You know, there's a, a national exam and then there's, you know, a different levels of exams that surveyors can take to be able to perform certain professional services. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think of that idea? Part of the uh, problem is that each state has their own law. Mm -hmm. So, you know, property law that is associated with individual states. So it has to happen at the legislative level. And some uh, states will let surveyors do subdivision design or drainage or you got to pass hydrology in order to get your survey license. Mm -hmm. And there are specific specialized fields that tie into different survey licenses already. The problem is there's 50 different, you know, licenses that you got to go down and boil down to each specific law. Mm -hmm. I think as a nation, if we can make one uniform property law, it would be up to the clients then making sure that the person practicing and doing the survey is qualified in that area and they know what they're doing. That's the other thing. You get mm-hmm. a lot of cowboys out there. You know, I'm in Kentucky, but I've got a license to practice in Texas. And if I can get a job in Texas, I'll just fly in, do my job, write up the plat, deliver it, not really knowing what that state has. So I understand that there are problems not knowing the laws in particular states. But if we can get to a national standard and even have that national standard for certain property uh, conveyances or property, uh, you know, plats, we have a, a standard through ALTA and the partnership that NSPS has built with ALTA has created national standards and those standards are dependent on the state standard. So you can do this ALTA survey and make sure that it meets the state standards, but I can pull up any state minimum standards for my office now and know this survey is abiding by this state standard. And if I'm making my checks and doing my due diligence, and making sure that I'm covering all of the checks and balances and meet that standard, then it takes the surveyor that can do that. And the surveyors that aren't going to be confident aren't going to be marketing their services nationwide. Yeah. Yeah. No question. No question. So you and I kind of pretty much took the same path to licensure and that's basically the longest path possible. And that's through experience. Um, so I think I can speak for you in saying that, um, you know, we understand the importance of mentoring. Um, we talk about this a lot, I know. And, you know, there's a, there's a Facebook page called The Field Crew. Free plug, don't get used to it. And uh, 
I mean, I, I, I follow that page pretty closely. And the reason I do is just to generate content, honestly, for the podcast. <laughs> I never respond to anything just because of, I'll probably get pummeled for, for my, my uh, I guess, my opinions on things. But, you know, there's a lot of negative stuff being posted on there, like, you know, party chiefs, you know, running their, their rodman into their, their instrument operator into the ground, the instrument operator running the party chief into the ground, the field or the office guy doing the calcs running the party chief into the ground, the party chief running the office guy into the ground. You know, so much of this going on. It drives me absolutely freaking insane. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on the state of the profession right now? I think in some ways we're getting very lean because technology allows one guy to go out and survey, gather more information than ever before. You know, I can, I can load up the equipment in the back of my Jeep and take it out to a site and I'll have a scanner running at the same time that I'm collecting with GPS. Yeah. And then, you know, I can double up efforts. We, we give all of our uh, crews, we, we normally run two man crews unless we're doing work where we need a third person out there for safety. But I give both my crew members a data collector so that if one guy can be capturing data with a total station and taking shots robotic then the other guy can be collecting utility locations with gps or soft shots or gathering other information we we've become so lean and efficient that it makes it difficult to need that extra person but then i think our rates are really low to where as a profession we need to focus more on the workforce and the only way that we can train people, I believe to do it right is through experience. So I would say, uh, have an intelligent test that tests somebody's experience, but make a experience still a requirement. Mm -hmm. I understand having the education and the credits and now with options going out there and, and taking, uh, classes online, somebody can do that. Uh, I know that the schools that like Parkland, if they're offering classes online, I know Middle Tennessee State has a program that if a surveyor is attending classes, he can do all of it online if he works for another surveyor. And those options are out there. But I also know that there are guys that are competent and intelligent that could take the exam and pass it, except they're excluded out because of requirements. Now, surveyors and office staff and, you know, the whole back and forth between, uh, you know, one guy's getting crapped on and the, the office guy uh, is more intelligent and you're just a lazy crew guy, that I think will always happen. You have that in any industry. What helps, or at least, I've been trying to incorporate with our guys is the crew guys can see how their information is being processed and even run their field to finish. They're doing uh, pulling deeds and drafting up deed plots on their own so that there isn't a competition between field and office staff. I would, it would be great if everyone knew how to gather the information in the field, knew how to process it, and then knew how to draft up the final delivery or model what they're delivering. And if they were all licensed, 
then they're going to be able to handle clients on their own. And for my guys, I would hand the clients to them and say, the best way that you're going to understand what this client needs is if you have the conversation with him and you go out and gather the information and then put it into a drawing the way he wants it and hand it over to him. Right now, we have to have a licensed surveyor that's managing that in a responsible way. Mm. And I don't, I don't want to get away from not having a responsible uh, land surveyor that makes those decisions. But I think we can bring field and office, merge them together and bring them on a, a path to making those intelligent decisions. We just started at our company uh, encouraging our guys to do the CST exams. Mm -hmm. That is a great way of getting that kind of knowledge. Um, it's free to study for. You do have a, a fee to take the exam. But we found that in the downtimes when the guys are either coming in, it's raining, they can't be out there working, they can be learning some of these things on the CST. So we've started encouraging all of our uh, guys to get some level of certification. And I think going through some level of certification lets them know, okay, I can understand this information. And the next step would be take a class in it get enough credits, sit for the exam and pass it. Yeah, no question. I think that, and you touched on a little bit there, I think that technology is is literally changing the the face of the profession. I was just talking to a friend of the program, Aaron Mikulenko, the other day, and I mean, he is like, like, like yourself, Ben. I mean, I consider him a, uh, a, a an expert at data collection, and he will send out a guy, one guy, and he's got a GPS, a drone and a scanner and he collects so much data brings all that information back to the office and then you know Aaron deciphers it and comes up with a, a collective I guess deliverable that's second to none you know he's got so much data in, involved in it so um, yeah the face of the, the profession is definitely changing so you sent us something that I thought was really really interesting and you know I always ask people especially surveyors you know what do you tell like when somebody asks you what you do what do you tell them? You know, because not I'm, you know, ninety eight percent of this world doesn't know what a land surveyor does. So what you said was, and I love this. You know, when somebody asks you what you do, you say that you, uh, you know, high, you're you're a high defin high defin high definition three D digital terrain modeler who creates virtual reality models of existing environments for design engineers. I love that. That sounds way cooler than land surveyor. Absolutely. <laughs> and it uses some buzzwords, right? Like yeah. Virtual reality, things that people understand and they know, you know. Jake might even start using that when somebody <laughs> asks him what he does. <laughs> We're going to see your yeah, resume. Is my, have uh, you know, you got to have your own uh, exactly. elevator speech, yep. describe what you do in 30 seconds, but change somebody's perspective on what you do. Now, I, I do normally follow up and say, you know, I'm a high definition digital terrain model. Yeah. modeler a, a land surveyor yeah. you know this what I, yeah. my mm -hmm. land survey job is what allows me to become the digital modeler and we are you know doing vr environments we're mm. working with some clients that use it some clients that don't but if you don't have that uh, value add to throw out a geoholics uh term bringing mm -hmm. value to your clients if you don't have that kind of add on your surveys, 
then you are not going to set yourself apart yep. from anyone. Absolutely. So changing the perception of people that I talk to who might not know what a land surveyor does, but you throw out some of those terms that are hot and, you know, in the culture now and people know about phones. And really, I think LIDAR is going to take a big jump because people are going to buy it and not know what it is. Yep. And then they're going to use it and then they're going to figure out, oh, people have been doing this for decades. Yeah. And, you know, more, more people already know what it is now than four weeks ago oh, before yeah. that phone came out. Oh, no question. No question. I actually saw on that field crew Facebook page today, somebody had posted some stuff that they've done with their their iPhone 12 Pro or whatever it is, you know, with the LiDAR. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's awesome. <laughs> it's incredible. It really is. Yeah. So with your with your awesome description and the passion you're clearly showing for a, a lifetime of this career, uh, on the daily, what motivates you? And uh, you know this question's coming. Do you have a mantra that you live by? Yeah, I, my motivation comes. Um, I try to make every survey better than the previous one. So you know, I like making my survey plats look nice. I, I have given a session here in Kentucky for our association called plat design, incorporating graphic design elements within plat design. <laughs> and then, you know, don't just settle for the AutoCAD standard, you know, text styles and the standard, you know, when you fire up AutoCAD out of the box, it will put text on your plat. But if I look at a plat and I see those textiles, I think, oh, this guy is so not using the potential of AutoCAD. Mm. So I would say driving to make things better. Yep. I would, uh, I've thought about the mantra question because you ask all your guests that one of my mantras is love your wife and love your life. And that comes from Ephesians uh, five and I appreciate the way that you guys uh, describe your wives. So I've started calling my wife, the lovely Angela. So uh, to, you know, throw out another geoholics, I think it really is a nice way to show what value you have to them. Uh, I think if we, my wife and I, if we're on the same page, then life is good. And so that would be a mantra that, I'm living by. Yep, I love that one. I mean, and I say it all the time, behind every great man is an even better woman. So uh, that that's awesome. I always go with the happy wife, happy life. Yeah. That's a classic. I remember it from yeah. like Don Rickles' book, and I was like, wow, yeah. I didn't expect that out of him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad here we're making a positive <laughs> impact. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I like the incorporation of a couple of geoholics buzzwords. Yeah, no question, no question. We're finally so, making it, boys. Absolutely. So, Ben, I think we're kind of at the end of our rope here as far as what we were hoping to uh, cover with you. Is there anything that we maybe have not asked or something you want to get out there? Yeah, I've got a whole list of geoholics questions that I think <laughs> the general geoholics uh, population wants to know. All right. So you guys weren't ready for this, and I didn't prep you with the questions that I was ready to ask. I'm outside my comfort zone. I was say, you know last that. time we did this, it did not go well for me. <laughs> with the geoholics logo thumbnail, you know, uh, the little photo. I will give 110% of the credit to producer Jake. That, that's actually funny that you asked that because while we were recording here, I had, it popped up on my phone and I was actually going through 
because we had actually talked about changing it a couple months ago loosely, uh, but mm-hmm. it was something that had to stick. I think that it was something that popped up and I made it within maybe 30 minutes mm-hmm. of when we started a year or so ago. Yeah. And it really has stuck. I mean, we use it with everything. It's funny. Obviously, the people that aren't on the, on the thumbnail are not Kent and Ryan. Um, right. And it, it's kind of just stuck ever since. And I, I don't anticipate it probably ever changing. No and, way. And you know what's funny? I mean, I, I think, you know, I guess I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit, but I think I have a pretty good feel for stuff like that. And when Jake sent that to me for the first time, I literally got a chill down the back of my <laughs> spine. And I'm like, oh, my God, that is freaking gold right there. And really <laughs> and what it is is it's just like a stock total station land surveyor photo that we put a black and white filter on yeah. and threw some text over. But, I mean, it's one of those things that kind of just stuck from there. I like the way he says we, but there was, was no it was we. All <laughs> Jake. It he was just all sent it out. We were like, yeah, okay, good. Yeah. And it yeah. really, in my head, going back when it was created, it was supposed to just, it was something, if you guys remember, when we applied for our Apple Podcast account, mm-hmm. we needed some sort of artwork. Yep. So yeah. it was just, in, in my head, it was something to be temporary until we could figure out a more permanent solution. But here we are, and it is the permanent solution. It just fits, yeah. it fits the vibe of the show very well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's not the stock photo. Like a lot of things that I see on LinkedIn, if they're trying to promote, uh, you know, one of their employees that got an award or something, they'll have that guy standing on a blank white wall, just <laughs> holding <laughs> up his certificate in front of him. Yeah. I, I would rather take a meaningful picture of the way that the guy looks happy instead of just the mugshot against Mm -hmm. me. So the stuff that I post on LinkedIn, I try and say, okay, is this photo valuable for somebody who's going to catch somebody's attention? Mm -hmm. It's not just a standard, you know, flat shot that doesn't mean anything. So any of my social media, I try and tell my guys, and really I've got one guy that's out there taking pictures in the field because he works in the field. And I say, you are the only person that can take that photo. Mm. There might not have been somebody in that spot for decades, but you're standing there, take an interesting shot and then put it up. But I think there can be some fatigue by throwing up every shot that you take Mm -hmm. on your phone and them not being worth it. So your Geoholics uh, logo is distinctive. It makes people think, okay, you know, what's going on here? and draws people in. I think that is important. And I think one I thing just, I realized yeah. about marketing survey is that surveyors don't ever take good media. Yeah. But if we just spent a little bit of time to add to the photo, you know, take an interesting perspective. I told one of our drone operators, instead of just taking the drone shots to create the PIX4D map, spend 10 minutes more and take 10 more photos of an interesting perspective of that project because mm. you're already there yep. you can take an extra few shots you've got the equipment you're already there yeah, you're already up in the air yeah exactly yeah. the only other thing i'll add on that question is i think another thing that that logo captures really well is it's it's funny right mm-hmm. i mean I, I look at it and i it puts a smile on my face and i think it shows that we don't take it too serious. You know what I mean? Yes. We're having you a good time. You know what you're getting into. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What else you got? 
Okay, so the other one is I'm wondering now that you guys have reached your uh, total downloads goal, and now that you are influencers in the Geopolitics podcast, like where does it go from here? I I understand it probably started out we're having conversations. Why don't we do a podcast? We can include you know some stories from other surveyors, but from the sounds of it, and we've listen to all the podcasts you guys are excited and kind of amazed at what it's turned into what would you like the geoholics to influence moving forward well i mean i can tell you this and i've told the story many times when well gosh about a year and a half ago now <laughs> year and i don't probably a year and a half ago feels like yesterday yeah i mean uh, ryan and i are both you know, into podcasts. And I just said, you know, what, what do you think about doing a podcast that has to do with, you know, geomatics? I'm like, cause I did some research, couldn't find anything out there. And that's just kind of how it all started. We talked about it for a couple months, you know, had great ideas, but mm -hmm. we just didn't know how to get the ideas from our brains into, you know, the webosphere or whatever. <laughs> so I, we were at a family gathering. And as you probably know, producer Jake dates my youngest daughter. He's essentially part of the family at this point. And we were at a family gathering and I'm like, Jake, you know, me and my buddy Ryan are thinking about doing a podcast. Do you know anything about that? And he's like, oh my God, I just happen to have a soundboard in my trunk. Because <laughs> everybody look, does. <laughs> I'm looking for a reason to use it, you know? And it just freaking exploded from there. And it's gotten to the point now. I mean, it, it has literally taken out a life of its own. Mm -hmm. But as it does that, for me personally, it just motivates me that much more to, again, provide value and make friends. You know, where do I want this to go? I want it to be a community, to be honest with you, the Geoholics community. And yes, we have sponsors, friends of the program and stuff like that. But I am always... I mean, we all are. We're always looking at ways to make connections to better everybody mm -hmm. we come in contact with. And, you know, I think that with our humility and our focus on doing just that, you know, Glenn Abramowski, episode six, add value, mm -hmm. make friends. Stuck. Couldn't have stuck. <laughs> we couldn't, he couldn't have said it any better, you know, and that, that encapsulates everything we're trying to do. And as much as this COVID-19 thing has been horrible, it's kind of expanded our horizons with this Zoomosphere and, yeah. and and getting guests from outside of just this local Arizona area. That, that's that been huge. Yeah. How yeah. many different countries have we been able, I mean, last week, even with Gary, like Ireland, mm -hmm. Australia, like these different places that... Like Germany. Yeah, Germany. It's these, crazy. These places that we probably wouldn't have bet, because towards the beginning, we were focused more on the in-person stuff, but now this mm -hmm. more remote world that we were forced mm -hmm. into has really broadened where we were able to connect to and with um, Bob a couple weeks ago to seeing how many interactions and impressions that these things are getting online and yep. how much people are taking away it really is a train that's kind of running away um, and we're just on it and it is kind of cool when you're just around and you talk to people like I was talking to a guy today and I was like he was like, oh, are you on the Geoholics? I was like, yeah, how'd you know that? And he was like, I thought I recognized the name and the voice. And I was like, oh, Big wow, that's shoots. odd. You had, a, you had a name tag on No, my no, no. <laughs> it was on the phone. I was like, wow, I guess these this voice is uh, distinctive. Uh, yeah. So that that's was kind of awesome. cool. And then well, I, I do also appreciate that it's not just survey stuff. Yeah. You know, having the wine episode and, yeah. you know, talking curling and other things. But like the survey hooks and then it gives you a break every once in a while to exactly. be off survey yeah. and you know just share life no, so yeah. it is nice i'm glad that you guys keep it loose and that it's not just go through the agenda of you know survey this and hit 
only survey yep. uh, issues. So if yeah, that was all good. we did, I would have quit months ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And let's face it, you know that that could get really boring really fast. But at the same time, you know we do seek out interesting guests mm-hmm. as well. You know, yeah, and, and if you have a story about something, we want to talk to you. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then you know we're we're always looking for you know what's the hot topic in the industry, mm-hmm. whether it be photogrammetry or this or that or whatever. Let's get somebody on who's an expert in that and let's talk about it. You know. Yeah, exactly. whether it be gold medalists, people that have sailed around the world. Like if you have something that's valuable yep. and we can ask you about it, like mm-hmm. let's get you on the phone and yeah. let's talk. Yeah, and what's cool is again it's taken on a life of its own. You know, when I reach out to who knows, a, uh, a class C celebrity, let's say, you know, it's like, hey, we'd love to get you on the podcast. You know, we I can say, you know, we've had 25,000 downloads mm. and that adds value in their mind immediately. Like, oh, OK, these guys aren't some slouches. You know, maybe it is worth my time. So Absolutely. and that's how, you know, some of these other odd, you know, not survey guests got on the show. And that was something we talked about. You know, it's like we're not going to be able to talk about, you know, um, Plum bobs and Plum bobs total stations forever. You know, that's great in the beginning. We had Abraham Lincoln on, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was a freaking blast. But I mean, we're always, we just want to, again, we just want to provide value, you know. And so many of costs. the outside of the box guests do stem from folks like with yeah. Cam, like oh, Cam. that was yeah. someone that it, it started Michael from a, Thompson. yeah, it started from a survey conversation with Michael Thompson yep. that then generated a non-survey interesting story absolutely. somewhere else absolutely so. and michael thompson for example he knows this guy that's on the world per- poker tour and we're gonna have him on you know after the first of the year oh you know and it's just stuff like that i mean it breaks a, it up we have a guest on they have an enjoyable experience and then they're like hey you know what i think this guy would be a great guest for you guys and that's just kind of how this stuff is happening it's pretty amazing honestly it's been cool and and we've single-handedly uh influenced at least one other local person to start her own podcast a former guest of the program yep yep she gave us a shout out on our first one moving arizona shameless plug for her she did it for us yep and she's she's gaining traction in that so yeah we're just innovators boys yeah yeah it's all great now we now that we've sufficiently patted ourselves on the back, yeah. I, th- I think we got. We don't we don't get one. a chance to do that that <laughs> often. We'll do that like our year end episode, the yeah. reflection. We'll drink a bunch of beer and uh, get emotional, cry a little bit. Yeah, there you go, there you go. <laughs> but and we generally like each other. I think that probably has something to do with it. Just a little bit, <laughs> yeah. probably. It helps. Yeah, it helps. We can tell. Yeah. Everyone listening in knows with the banter that goes on that yeah. there isn't any you know, drama that goes on. No. Yeah, we don't, we don't have time for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got anything else, Ben? No, I'm good. All awesome. right, man. Thank that you is, so much. That's awesome. Thanks again for taking the time to be with us. Hopefully, you'll come back on again. Yeah, and anytime, you know, I'm doing more, uh, looking for ways to connect nationally. Mm-hmm. So anytime I'm out west, yep. I'm gonna be looking for you guys. So. Yep, yep. We'd love to see you. That'd be great. All right. Well, that's a wrap, folks, as we we're say in the biz. <laughs> oh, we're in the biz. Yep. Check us out at thegeoholics.com. Follow us on all the reputable social media outlets by searching for The Geoholics. Download all our podcasts and Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and, of course, download the Geoholics app from Land Surveyors United. Email us at info at the Geoholics if you're interested in being a friend of the program or a guest on a future show. We're booking into February, if you can believe that. Uh, Switchfoot, Afterlife, available everywhere. Please don't forget to support our friends of the program every chance you get. Pay it forward. Add value, make friends. Rest in peace, Alex Trebek. Oh, man, I forgot to bring that one up. That was a tough tough one. one. Yeah, most importantly, be safe and healthy, everyone. 
All right. Once again, thank you to our friends of the program, Bad Elf GPS. Find them at bad-elf.com. Land Surveyors United, landsurveyorsunited.com. LIDAR News at lidarnews.com. Parkland College Land Survey Program, parkland.edu slash surveying. Unifly, U-N-I-F-L-I dot A-E-R-O. Diamondback Land Surveying at diamondbacklandsurveying.com. Advanced Geodetic Surveys at agsgps.com. Tiger Supplies at tigersupplies.com. Cyanic Automation at getjobbook.com. Safety Apparel, you can find them at safetyapparel.us. And finally, Get Kids Into Survey at getkidsintosurvey.com.